You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. Get your Bibles open to Romans chapter 11, verse 36, and I'm going to read the scripture here, and then we're going to dive into it, and uh, I want you to notice where we're at. Chapter 11 in Romans is the culmination of the greatest theological clarity about the gospel that's ever been written. God used a man named the Apostle Paul to get his words on the page that we can read this morning, and he comes to the end of it, and it is a crescendo, and we finally get to Romans 11, verse 36, and it says this, for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever amen that's what the t-shirt means soli deo gloria i got the t-shirt micah got the tattoo to god alone be the glory our entire existence is for the glory of God alone. We've been in this series entitled Nailing the Gospel. We want to bring some theological precision around the meaning of the gospel. In order to do that, we've had to learn some vocabulary. And we've summed up these vocabulary words in this statement. Scripture alone defines justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. About 500 years ago, the church had lost its way, had lost its theological precision around the words relating to the gospel. God used some men like Martin Luther to bring us back to the biblical definitions of the gospel. And so these five solas came out of what is known as the Protestant Reformation. The word sola means alone. Today we're talking about soli, deo, gloria. Scripture alone is the place that we look for definitions about what we are to believe and determinations about how we're to behave. And it is the scripture alone that informs those things. And the most important of those things is this word justification. Remember we taught you that justification is the legal declaration by God whereby he thinks of me forgiven and righteous in Christ. It is to be made right with God. Are you right with God this morning? Are you in right legal standing with God? That is the ultimate question. And that happens by grace alone. I'm completely helpless to contribute anything to my justification. I'm completely helpless unless God comes and graciously awakens me and regenerates me and brings life into this dead, cold heart. The only thing I can create, the only thing I can, the only thing. Can you imagine when we go to four services how it's going to sound at the fourth service? There's no telling what I'm going to be saying there. The only thing I contribute to my salvation is the sin that made it necessary. It is by grace alone that I am saved through faith alone. It is not by my works. It's not by my religious activity. It's not by church attendance. It is by believing in the finished work of Christ on the cross. He's done everything necessary to 
to redeem me, to justify me, to forgive me, and all of that, if it is through scripture alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that leads to the culmination of all of the solas, which is this, to the glory of God alone. He is the only one worthy to receive the praise and the honor and the power and the glory for my salvation. And that's what we're looking at here this morning. And in doing that, we've contrasted some of the differences between Protestant and Catholic theology. And uh, we've looked at some of the Catholic catechism, kind of the official teaching of the church on what um, the church would say about these matters. And there was actually another catechism that came out. By the way, catechism is, is, is kind of a big word. It's actually just a teaching tool. It's a, it's a doctrinal statement about what we believe about these things. And there was another catechism that arose about a hundred years after the Protestant Reformation. And it was, the, it was kind of the summary of what we believe about these things. It was called the Westminster Catechism. In the years 1646, 1647, some men got together to bring some theological precision around these things. And they just, uh, they, they created a list of questions. And the answers are the way that we would learn these things. These are great ways to teach our children doctrine. I'm going through one of these. You can pick one up at the resource center. Just a, a, a catechism is a way to teach our, our children and even adults the answer to doctrinal statements. Here's the first question in that Westminster catechism. What is the chief end of man? What is the primary purpose? What is the what is the reason for which he exists? That's a pretty important question. And here's the answer that those reformers gave. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. They never wanted us to divert our attention from what is ultimately our purpose. Our purpose is to glorify God alone. We've got three thoughts that we're going to build out of this. First one is this. God does everything for his glory alone. Everything God does, he does for his own glory. We learned that from, a fee, from Isaiah chapter 48 verse 11. For my own sake, in case you missed it, he says it again. For my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not share with another. God wants our glory. What is the glory of God? The glory of God, glory is a noun. It's also a verb. Let's first of all talk about the noun. The glory of God is that which radiates from God. The glory of God is that which can be known of God. The glory of God is that which he has revealed about his attributes, his nature, his eternal power. It's his moral perfection. And when you have an encounter with the glory of God, you are struck with this thought. God is not like me. He is other. He is transcendent. He is glorious and I am not. God is glorious. The word in the Hebrew is the word kabod. 
And it has its meaning in the word wait. There is a weightiness to God. If when you think about God, there is not a sense of heaviness that comes upon you, you're not having glorious thoughts about God. The glory of God brings a weight. When I think about God, when I praise God, when I listen to God's word, there is a weight. If we're doing our job correctly here this morning, glorifying God, there should be a sense of weightiness, lest we take God lightly. The glory of God is an encounter with the weightiness of his majesty, of his supremacy, of his perfection. Do you know God in his glory? Everything God creates, he creates for his glory. Everything that exists, exists for his glory. Let's make it personal. You and I exist for the glory of God alone. Now, most of us would have passed that question on the test, but let me give you an even weightier thought, okay? I don't even know if some of you can handle this. Are you ready? Not only do I exist for the glory of God, God exists for the glory of God. That challenges what we believe about the significance of man. Now, man is stamped with the image, the glory of God, but God does not exist to glorify man. God does not exist to make much of you. God does not exist to make your life easier. God does not exist to help you with your self-esteem. God exists for his own glory. And the only reason he created you, the only reason he has anything to do with you is to glorify himself. God loves you. Do you believe that? Do you believe God loves you? Yes. Why does he love you? For the glory of God. God helps you. Has God ever helped you? You ever prayed that God would help you? If he has ever helped you, do you know why he helped you? For his own glory. Has he saved you? I hope he has. If he saved you, do you know why he saved you? It's not to make much of you. It is to make much of his own glory. God uses you. Do you know why he uses you? For his own glory. Soli Deo Gloria. God doesn't share his glory with anyone or anything. And if you do, you create an idol. That's what the second point's all about. Here's the bad news. God does everything for his glory alone, but we don't. And we should. We have not done everything for God's glory alone. And do you know what we call that in the Bible? 
sin. I want you to see it here in Romans chapter three. We're flipping around a little bit. And if you can flip around, if you can navigate a little bit, if you've got a Bible app, flip over to Romans chapter three, verse 23. And I want you to see it in your own Bible or in your own phone. It's right here. What is sin? God defines sin for us in terms of his glory. Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned. Now, how many of you would agree with that statement? Now, if you didn't raise your hand, how many of you agree with the, the person next to you has certainly sinned, okay? Yeah, we know that for sure. All have sinned. We know that. So, okay, we would all say, well, you know, nobody's perfect. We've all made a few mistakes. It's worse than that. You know what the worst thing is? It's what he says next. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, God created you for his glory alone, but you haven't lived for his glory alone. And that is sinful. It's ungodly. It's evil. It's wicked. It's rebellion. It's idolatry. And it will send you to hell forever. until or unless you are made a subject of God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Not only have we fallen short of the glory of God, it gets worse. We've actually exchanged the glory of God for the glory of lesser things. Again, turn one page back, go to chapter one, and I want you to see it beginning in verse 18. Romans chapter one, verse 18. Now this is, this is serious business. If you've, ever, if you've ever heard a preacher preach a hellfire and brimstone message, he was probably preaching from this text. Here it is. For the wrath of God, aren't you glad you came to church this morning to hear something about the wrath of God? Here it is. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. What did we say that was ungodly and unrighteous? We've fallen short of the glory of God. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The truth about what? The truth about the glory of God. He goes on in verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Do you understand what he's saying? The glory of God has been made known. The glory of God has been clearly shown as an act of God's grace. He has pulled back the curtain a little bit to let you see how glorious his love is and how glorious his mercy is and how glorious his holiness is. It's known for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that he has made. So they are without excuse. This is what he's saying to us. Our problem is not that we don't know about his glory, our problem is that we don't like it. We don't love it. 
we've run from the glory of God rather than run to the glory of God. And do you know what the human heart does because it's so twisted and broken and ungodly and unrighteous? It suppresses the truth about God. We want to ignore the glory of God. We want to deny the glory of God. We want to cover the glory of God. And it gets even worse. Look at verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools. And what does a fool do? Verse 23. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds and animals and creeping things. What are we doing? We know the glory of God has been revealed. God didn't have to reveal it to us. He could have kept it all in heaven and not spoken to us and given us scripture. He could have not sent Jesus who was the manifestation of God's glory in human form, but he did it. And in spite of everything God has done to reveal his glory, do you know what we've done? We've assessed the value of the glory of God and we've assessed the value of the glory of other things and we've exchanged it. Glory of God, glory of money, I'll take money. Glory of God, glory of sex, I'll take sex. Glory of God and the glory of food. I'll take food. And we've exchanged it. And every one of us has done it. Do you know why I can say that universally? Because the scripture tells us that we are created things. There is, creation, there is creator and there is creation. The creator has a glory that he wants reflected off of his creation. So you know what he's done? He's put within each one of us a heart that was designed to give glory. And all day long, every day, do you know what your heart is doing? It is glorifying someone or something because God designed it, it's all your heart does. Your heart is a glory factory. And all day long, every day, out of your heart comes little poofs of worship. Down the conveyor belt of your heart comes little glory packages. And we deliver those packages to whatever we set our hearts on. Whatever we consider most glorious is what we glorify. If your heart will not choose to glorify God, do you know what your heart will do? Your heart will find something else to glorify. And we do it all day. We do it every day. The reformers were so concerned that this would not happen in the church. They called the church back to Solely, Deo, Gloria, God alone is worthy of our glory. 
They didn't want us to commit idolatry. They didn't want us to violate the first commandment. They didn't want us to make little gods with little G's that we would give glory that belongs to God and God alone. The reformers were concerned with how the the Roman Catholic Church 500 years ago were diverting attention that belonged to God alone to images and icons and relics and even persons and processes and and how much the, the church was elevating humans and giving them this like elite status of Saint, it's like the first class premier people. It's all those people that get to board ahead of you at the airport, you know. It's like, why do they get to go first? Somehow they, they, they got this premier status in the church. And the reformers said no to that. That's not glory that belongs to you. That belongs to God and God alone. The, the Catholic church, as you know, makes a lot about St. Mary. We, we have two colleges in our town named after St. Mary. The first one, St. Mary's heard of it? The other one has a football team. It's called Notre Dame. Do you know what Notre Dame means? Notre Dame is French for our mother. It's, 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 it's a veneration of, of St. Mary. The Catholic catechism says this about St. Mary. From her first instance of her conception, she was totally preserved from the stain of original sin and she remained pure for all personal sin, from all personal sin throughout her life. That's what we believe about Jesus, but that is not what the scripture teaches about Mary. Then it says this, the Virgin Mary cooperated through free faith and obedience in human salvation. The teaching is that somehow Mary was so good, I mean, perfect, that she is elevated to like a co-redeemer status and it diverts away from the glory that God and God alone should get. Um, Many of you know that at the end of a football game, the Notre Dame football team gathers around, stands gathered around, and they sing the Notre Dame alma mater. Do you know the words that you're singing? Some of you actually do and would like to stand and sing it right now. And it's like, we know this, we sway back and forth. All this. Here, here's, the, here's the words to it. This is what it says. Notre Dame, our mother, tender, strong, and true, proudly in the heavens gleams thy golden blue. Glory, 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 glory. Glory's mantle cloaks thee. Oh, wait a minute. I thought that was reserved for God. Glory's mantle cloaks thee. Golden is thy fame and our hearts forever pray. Praise. Wait a minute. I thought we were supposed to praise God and God alone. Praise thee, Notre Dame. Our hearts forever love thee, Notre Dame. Um, There's a better song. (laughs) And Mary actually wrote the lyrics. We find it in Luke chapter one, verses 46 through 49. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. Listen, don't magnify Mary. Magnify the Lord of Mary. She says, my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Wait a minute, if Mary was perfect, why does she need a savior? Mary didn't think she was sinless. Mary thought she was a sinner that needed a savior. And she says, he has looked upon my humble estate. 
of his servant. I think Mary would be embarrassed that people name universities after her and sing songs to her. She says, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Yeah, Mary was a godly woman. Thank God for Mary. She is blessed, but she is not the dispenser of blessing. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Not through me, for me. And holy is his name. Mary would tell you, do not praise me. Listen, don't sing praise to Mary. Sing praise to the one Mary praised. Don't pray to Mary. Pray to the one Mary prayed to. Mary is way too busy worshiping Jesus right now to listen to your prayer. She would tell you, talk to Jesus. He helped me. He can help you. Magnify him. Don't magnify me. We need to be careful not to make an idol of Mary. And we need to be careful not to make an idol of all kinds of things Protestants make idols of. Protestants are great at making idols of all kinds of stuff. My heart is so prone to misdirected worship, I can rob God of glory that belongs specifically to him. There's no greater sin than to be a glory thief. And do you know when we are most prone to rob God of glory? It's when things are going well. It's when things are increasing. It's when things are easy. It's when our income is increasing. It's when our influence is increasing. It's when our numbers are growing. When we rob God of glory when we start congratulating ourselves, start patting ourselves on the back for things that God and God alone has done. We rob God of glory when we lose a sense of desperation that if God ever pulled back his grace, we would be toast. We rob God of glory when we elevate human ingenuity and marketing and talent above God's power. We rob God of his glory when we rely upon money and strategy to do what God and God alone can do. We rob God of glory when we take credit for what God alone has done in building his church and changing lives. Do you know what's been happening around here if you've been a part of Harvest Bible Chapel? Things are going quite well. This room is full. We, we, we have so many things just every day this week, somebody has come up to me in the community or sent me an email and just said, I'm hearing such great things about your church. I've had people like thank me. This, week, this month is Pastor Appreciation Month. That was a public service announcement for those of you that didn't know. But it's Pastor Appreciation Month. And we were here last Sunday night for prayer meeting. We had 300 people praying, giving God and God alone to uh, glory. And at the end of the service, the, the elders hijacked the service. And down this aisle came people carrying basket loads of cards and letters and gifts for the families and the children of the pastors in this church. And we were so blown away and we were so grateful. Listen, appreciation, yes. Glory, no. 
the moment anybody starts to take any glory that exclusively belongs to God is the moment that God will find someone else to reveal his glory to. By God's grace, solely Deo Gloria. It is God and God alone that deserves all the honor, all the praise around here. In the year 1996, there was a group of theologians that met in Cambridge and they wrote a declaration, kind of a commentary on what they saw happening in evangelical churches. And this is what they said. They said, wherever in the church biblical authority has been lost, Christ has been displaced, and the gospel has been distorted, or faith has been perverted, it has always been for one reason. Our interests have displaced God's, and we are doing his work in our way. The loss of God's centrality in the life of today's church is common and lamentable. It is this loss that allows us to transform worship into entertainment. If you were somehow entertained by what happened up here in the first 30 minutes of the service, if somehow you're being entertained right now, you are not focused on God's glory and God's glory alone. That is not why we are here to entertain you. We are here to give and ascribe glory to God alone. It says that's when gospel preaching is turned into marketing and believing into technique, being good into feeling good about ourselves and faithfulness into being successful. As a result, God, Christ, and the Bible have come to mean too little to us and rest too inconsequential upon us, too lightweight. We're treating God too lightly. It goes on, God does not exist to satisfy human emotions, cravings, and appetites for consumption or our own private spiritual interest. We must focus on God in our worship rather than the satisfaction of our own personal needs. God is sovereign in worship. We are not. Our concern must be for God's kingdom, not our own empire's popularity or success. We reaffirm and I would do this along with these reformers. We reaffirm that because salvation is of God and has been accomplished by God, it is for God's glory that we must glorify him always. We must live our entire lives before the face of God. There was another phrase that came out of the Reformation. Corum Deo, before the face of God, under the authority of God and for his glory alone. We deny that we can properly glorify God in our worship if it is confused with entertainment, if we neglect the law or the gospel in our preaching, or if self-improvement, self-esteem, or self-fulfillment are allowed to become alternatives to the gospel. By God's grace, not here. Do you have any idols? How can you know if you have any idols on a personal level? Tim Keller says, if you wanna look for idols, you just need to examine two things, your daydreams and your nightmares. What do you find yourself thinking about? What do you find yourself going after? Just when you let your mind wander, does it go to God or does it go to a person that you want to control? Does it go to a possession that you want to possess? Is it a place you want to live? It is a position that you want to obtain. 
Is that what you dream about? If I could only get that, I would be happy. Careful. That could be an idol. Secondly, your nightmares. What do you worry about? What do you fear losing? What is it you think, if I lose that, I could never live without it? Again, is it a person? Is it a place? Is it a possession? Is it a position? Anything you can't live without is an idol. Anything you can't stop thinking about is an idol. And anything you are unwilling to give up is an idol. And it demonstrates you're not living for the glory of God alone. Crazy thing about idols, idols always demand a sacrifice. And so you can look at your time and find out what are you sacrificing your time for? What are you sacrificing your money for? What are you sacrificing your marriage and your family for? What are you sacrificing your integrity and character for? That's your idol. And God would call you back to the weightiness of his glory. Repent of exchanging the glory of God for the glory of lesser things. Final thing, ascribe glory to God and God alone. We've looked at this verse in Romans chapter five throughout this series. It simply says this, through him, we have also obtained access by faith, faith alone, into his grace, grace alone. I've already said through him, Christ alone, in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It must capture our attention afresh and anew, understanding that all the credit, all the honor, all of it for our salvation belongs to God. It is God who initiates salvation. It is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we have any access to God. If we somehow deceive ourselves into thinking that we contribute anything to our salvation, we are robbing God of glory. And that salvation brings a humility that makes us bow in the presence of God's glory. And it makes us servants of others. Anything that causes you to power up or shout down someone else is a demonstration you're not living for the glory of God alone. God gets glory through our transformation. Here's one of the most practical verses in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. If through the first part of this message, you're thinking this sounds really ethereal. That's just kind of up there in the heavenlies glory. I don't really get a concept. Do you know what the apostle did? He brought down to the level of breakfast, the glory of God. What is he saying? Do breakfast for the glory of God. Do lunch for the glory of God. Do dinner for the glory of God. Do marriage for the glory of God. Raise your kids for the glory of God. Go to work for the glory of God. Go to school for the glory of God. 
Thought I'd get an amen out of a parent on that. You want another run at that? Go to school for the glory of God. Go to algebra for the glory of God. Play football for the glory of God. Watch football for the glory of God. Shovel snow for the glory of God. Again, just a little public service announcement, it's coming. You can do everything you do for the glory of God. And when you do, God gets the glory and we get the joy of living our lives for the glory of God and God alone. The band's gonna come back out of here and we're gonna lift the roof off this place in just a minute for the glory of God. But I want you to see one more passage of scripture. Psalm 96 verse eight. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Do you notice the intentionality? Notice these are commands. We are commanded by our glorious God to give and ascribe glory to God. The ascription of glory is something you do intentionally. I want you to stand with me right now. This is not something you can do passively. As a matter of fact, in the next five minutes, if you do not choose to ascribe glory to God, there will be no glory to God in the seat where you are right now. This is not anything that anybody can do for you. This is a choice you make to repent of exchanging the glory of God for the glory of lesser things. To bring an offering, the verse says. What did you bring to offer to God this morning? Did you bring him your mind? Did you bring him your marriage? Will you bring him your sin? And lay it before him for the glory of God, I repent. Bring him your money, all of it, not 10%. It all belongs to him. He lets you keep about 90% of it. And you're supposed to spend and save the other 90% for the glory of God. Are you ascribing the glory to his name this morning? The great reformer, Martin Luther, that sparked the Protestant Reformation 500 years ago by nailing those 95 theses to the castle door in Wittenberg. He never wanted the church to lose the wonder and the weightiness of the glory of God. So one day, do you know what he did? He sat down and he wrote a song with all of the weightiness that he could think of to call us back to the wonder of the glory of God. It's become known as the battle hymn of the Protestant Reformation. I think you'll know it, we're gonna sing it right now and I want you to ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due His name as we do.